Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guest. And yes, we are back again like we are every Saturday at the same time, bringing you the news from the past week. Uh, today, we have weekly roundup number seven. We're going to talk about COVID, your favorite thing to talk about. We're going to talk about the Olympics. We're going to talk a little bit about infrastructure, just kind of all over the place as usual. Uh, so, Adrian, we have lots of news, so let's kind of get into it. And we're going to start in the great state of Texas, where I am. Um, you know, Texas is at it again already. We are six months into a new administration, and they've already been sued by the Department of Justice. And so what's happened here is now the DOJ, the Biden administration, <clears throat> has decided now to sue Texas uh, to prevent state troopers from stopping vehicles carrying immig- uh, migrants on the grounds that they may spread COVID-19. Um, they're warning that this practice would exacerbate problems and high levels of crossing on the state's border with Mexico. And so the Justice Department has asked for an immediate block of Governor Greg Abbott's order, which he issued on Wednesday. It allows the Texas Department of Public Safety to, quote, stop any vehicle upon reasonable suspicion, end quote, that it transports migrants. And so troopers could then reroute the vehicles back to their point of origin or impound them. And so, as you know, we've talked about Greg Abbott a few times. He is a Republican who is facing a reelection next year. And so Mayor Garland wrote on Friday to argue that the federal government was interfering with his obligations to protect Texas residents. So, Adrian, like I say, six months into a new administration, Texas being Texas, they're now trying to use COVID as an excuse to turn people back and, and tell them to go back across the border. Which, you know, Devin, I'm not surprised by this. Um, it's another thing, you know, Texas is always doing something. Greg Abbott, you know, I feel like he's always up to some shenanigans. Um, and this is no different from that. I get where they're coming from. We're trying, you know, because, you know, we're having a lot of variants and we're trying to kind of, you know, control that. Um, but the other thing is that people are trying to escape some bad situations and we need to also start to acknowledge that and what's going on there. So, um, listeners, we'll make sure to kind of keep you in the loop on that. And, you know, as we, you know, we kind of develop more about that one. Um, another story that we wanted to take you to, uh, I don't know if everyone, if everyone's been kind of keeping up with it, but, you know, January 6th, uh, special committee has been meeting, um, a day after its first hearings. They had a lot of emotional testimony, uh, Devin from police officers about the January 6th Capitol attack. Um, and it really just kind of brought everything back to the national spotlight when you actually can hear people who are law enforcement um, kind of testifying to what's going on. Um, the House Select Committee is actually going to be looking uh, at uh, subpoenas uh, for maybe next week. Re- uh, Representative Liz Cheney, who sits on the committee, told ABC News' George Stephanopoulos that the committee had not ruled out even calling Representative Jim Jordan from Ohio who has criticized the committee and is vetoed by the House uh, Speaker over comments she said would damage his credibility. Uh, and the reason why they're wanting to subpoena him, uh, listeners, just because uh, Jim Jordan, along with McCarthy, actually did talk to Donald Trump on January 6th, uh, I believe before and after. Um, so they're just wanting to kind of figure out, you know, what, you know, what was actually said about that. Um, of course, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans um, are, you know, basically saying this is just busy work for them, Devin. They're not really wanting to give it any merit. 
Um, it, I just feel like that, you know, they should have just played ball uh, when they wanted to do a bipartisan uh, committee on this rather than a special committee. And now they're just kind of complaining about it. But at least the committee is off to a great start. They've had some really good testimony from officers and they're looking at doing some subpoenas next week, Devin. I don't know what kind of busy work <laughs> you're used to, but uh, this seems to be pretty important work. And I'm glad that they're doing it because we do need these types of, um, <clears throat> you know, reports being put together so that we know exactly what happened on January 6th and who was involved and who knew what when. Um, that way we don't have to necessarily guess at it. So, of course, we'll keep you updated as more news comes out of that committee. Uh, we're going to kind of shift gears a little bit. We're going to go from D.C. to Tokyo, Japan, uh, where if you don't know, the Olympics are in full swing pretty much. But we did get some some pretty big news in the gymnastics world uh, where gymnast uh, Simone Biles cited mental health concerns for with the drawing from the women's team gymnastics final. And this was according to the Associated Press. And so she actually said, quote, uh, I didn't want to go into any of the other events second guessing myself, she said. Um, so I thought it would be better if I took a step back and let these girls go out there and do their job, end quote. And so what happened is on Monday, uh, Simone Biles said that she felt a lot of pressure competing at the Olympics and the weight of the world was on her shoulders. And so that led her to pull out uh, from the women's team uh, final. And so NBC had actually first reported that Simone Biles was dealing with a mental issue. But then later on, USA Gymnastics released a statement saying that uh, that she had actually withdrawn from final team competition due to a medical issue. And she will be assessed daily to to determine medical clearance for future competitions. And so, Adrian, you know, we've we've talked a lot, you know, during this show about mental health. And of course, in the past year, we've seen athletes in mental health become a, a growing movement um, where we are, you know, allowing athletes the room to to take time off, to pull out of things, you know, to take care of their mental health. And so Simone Biles is just another uh, example, you know, that the the mental health of the, of the athlete is just as important as the physical part. And in this case, when you're talking about competing on the world stage and you're doing gymnastics, you're talking about flipping and turning in the air, if you're not there mentally, you could actually seriously injure yourself trying to come down and land. And so I think she had mentioned too that she had the twisties is what they call it in the, in the gymnastics world. I think what happens is you kind of, you get in the air and you flip, but you actually lose track of how many times you've actually, you know, done your turns and you could land awkwardly. You could really hurt yourself. So it is kind of dangerous. So I would actually rather her pull out if you're not feeling it rather than you got there and you try and compete and you end up actually seriously hurting yourself. Yeah, Devin. I mean, it just makes sense. Um, you know, we've, as you said, we've talked about mental health in our show and how taboo of a topic it is in America and how in a lot of minority uh, communities, um, people just ignore their mental health. Um, but you've got Simone who's saying, I'm going to put my career, you know, as, a, as an athlete on pause and address my mental health. I mean, that that's a sacrifice that takes a lot of courage and a, a lot of, you know, respect for herself to make that commitment to say, you know, I'm going to do this. Cause I mean, you train for the Olympics for years. I mean, it's not like just a, a one-off training session and you're ready to go to the Olympics. I mean, this is something she's been planning for. So this is, 
not like her just easily giving up going to represent America in the Olympics. This is her wanting to be a better person, a better athlete for everybody, you know, in the future. So uh, we definitely need to be supporting uh, what's going on there. Um, to go to another story where we should have gotten some support, Devin, but we don't. And I, I, I'm, I'm being out of shape about this because I don't understand. Um, I don't even understand Nancy Pelosi's or rather Speaker Pelosi's frustration because I felt like she could have just not had this little uh, recess that they're having. But let me go over the story a little bit, listeners. So uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi's, uh, you know, her last minute extension of an eviction moratorium for renters collapsed Friday, which pretty much leaves millions of Americans at risk of losing their homes after the ban lifts on today. Uh, Pelosi said in a news conference after the House adjourned uh, that Democrats won't forget the issue. She added that she hopes that more federal aid flows to tenants and landlords uh, so that they'll have less need for the government to stop these evictions. Congress has approved about $47 billion in rent relief funding since December, but state programs to distribute that money have been swamped in bureaucracy and miscommunication and a growing frustration from tenants and landlords alike. Of course, AOC called the administration's lack of action reckless and irresponsible. She basically said everybody knew this was coming. No matter whose fault it is, what was promised to people has not been given. The White House responded that the administration has been working with local governments to get money already approved out to renters and landlords. So, um, like I said, Devin, it's <laughs> again, the, the Democratic Party Y'all are in charge. You, you may have a slam majority, but you're in charge. This is this is like a, a a topic that was so near and dear to a lot of the Democratic, you know, uh, uh, majority. You know, a lot of everybody in Congress, rather. Mm-hmm. And for them to just take a recess and not, you know, handle this, not do some sort of special session, call people back early to just say we won't forget the issue. Like I said, I I I don't know what to think. You know, I, I don't think you know Speaker Pelosi or Chuck Schumer are the, the face of the Democratic Party anymore. But um, when you've got leadership doing stuff like this, it definitely makes those statements you know have a little extra weight to them. Yeah, it, it does for sure. And look, I understand the hesitation of extending the moratorium again because there are landlords out there who are struggling because they're not, you know, they're not able to extract rent from tenants because they can't necessarily evict them yet. So I understand that as far as that being something in the economy that's, you know, we're, we're, I mean, it's obvious we're in a recovery mode right now. So with, you know, that ending with the eviction moratorium ending, I think the student loan payments uh, pause will end in, I believe, September, maybe September one. So that's something else that's going to be coming up that could needs to be extended or maybe extended rather. But yeah, I mean, it's something a lot of people, you know, you have to really assess the needs. There's money already out there. The problem is we can't get it to people and the tenants and the landlords need that money. So that's another problem. I think that's probably the bigger issue is that if that money, that $47 billion had actually gotten out into the system and gotten to tenants and landlords, we may not even be having this conversation because they may not even need it. But the problem is bureaucracy is kind of getting in the way here. But uh, hopefully this does not lead to an avalanche of evictions um, and everything. So, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to see and disappointing for sure. But hopefully there is, like you say, there is, there, there's help out there already. So we just need to get it to the people. So we'll update you on that 
um, as that kind of unfolds. And so our last um, story for this segment, we're going to end with some news about the former president, uh, President Obama. He's still been a little active, but not necessarily in the political world, but really more in the sports world. So um, here we got former president uh, Barack Obama has now become a strategic partner and minority owner in the National Basketball Association's Africa business, which oversees the Basketball Africa League. And so the NBA launched its Africa entity in May, and it values the business at around nearly a billion dollars already. And so NBA Africa oversees, the again, the Basketball Africa League, which had its first season last May. And they already have investors like uh, former NBA player Dikembe Mutombo, Grant Hill, and Junior Bridgman. And then the league said that Obama, President, former President Obama, would u- use his stake in NBA Africa to fund the Obama Foundation Youth and Leadership Programs across Africa. And so uh, just to wrap it up here, under the leadership, though, of CEO Victor Williams, NBA Africa wants to establish corp- corporate partnerships expand content and media rights and support local governments seeking to build new basketball arenas. And so basketball Africa league has 12 teams and the league's uh, games air in about 215 countries and territories. And the NBA envisions the basketball being the top sport in Africa uh, in 10 years. So that's a tall task. Soccer is (laughs) probably number one. But we'll see. I know basketball is a growing sport internationally. So interesting to see the former president. We do know he loves basketball. And so, um, you know, it's interesting to see him get involved there, kind of getting in early, you know, trying to be a little venture capitalist, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I will. I will definitely say if people have ever heard me off um, off the podcast, talk about the former president, um, I've had. Mixed mixed views, mixed ratings, I guess you could say. (laughs) Um, But I will say um, I'm glad to see that he's active in some capacity. Um, I am in the mindset that he should be more active in other ways, but I get the the tradition of former presidents, you know, being more behind the scenes. Uh, But we are in different (laughs) times now. Um, I like that he's enjoying basketball, but... Um, listeners, you, listeners, you can't see Adrian's <laughs> face, but his face is telling a totally different story than these words he's saying right now. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are absolutely right. That, I mean, that. Hey, I'll, I'll leave it there because hey, maybe Obama will hear this, and whenever I run for president, he'll he'll go back to weekly roundup number seven in season three and be like, "Well, I remember you did, you weren't a, you weren't a fan of me, Adriana. You weren't so. too fond." That's right. But hey, you know, former president, I'm proud of what you've done for our country. I'm glad that you're helping the motherland here. Um, There's plenty of stuff to do. So what we're going to do, listeners, we're going to take our first break here. And when we come back, we've got plenty more news to get into in segment two uh, from COVID to stuff with Ben Crump, a bunch of stuff coming out. Uh, So stick with us. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All 
right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into our second segment here where we want to start off talking about some COVID news, uh, which the first part of this we want to talk about is uh, President Biden calling for federal workers to be vaccinated. And honestly, Devin, I hope that he calls for everybody in America to be vaccinated eventually because I think that's the only way we're going to get out of this. But uh, listeners, to give you a little bit of insight into the story here, uh, President Biden's uh, requirement for federal workers to reveal their COVID vaccination status is likely to force uncomfortable questions, not only at government agencies, but at private companies as well. Biden's plan for the federal workforce announced Thursday stopped short of a direct order for federal employees to roll up their sleeves. Instead, workers will have to attest to whether they are vaccinated or not. Although employees will not be required to produce a vaccination card, um, they're basically going to, you know, uh, be there's going to be governing. There's going to be rather some different pl- things in place to govern rules and regulations around them having to attest that, which is kind of the loaded word that they have that's in the federal workplace. It implies consequences of providing false or misleading information. How they will enforce remains unclear, but employees who voluntarily provide valid proof of vaccination will likely settle potential questions up front. So basically, even though the ruling's not going to require you to have your vaccination card, the best way is to show it. So they're going to kind of, you know, make you do it, you know, in an indirect way. The unvaccinated will have to put up with regular testing, required masking and social distancing, and they will be barred from official travel. Similar rules will also be applied to federal contractors. So Devin, there's a lot to be said with that. Um, like I said, I think everyone needs to be vaccinated. Um, I think if you're unvaccinated, you should have certain restrictions. You should have certain limitations. Um, it's just how it is. I mean, we're not going to get out of this until people wake up and believe in science. Yes. I mean, that's that's the challenge now is trying to convince the holdouts that the vaccine is necessary um, for them, to, for them to take. And look, I have these conversations with my family all the time, in particular, my grandmother trying to, you know, we argue daily about the vaccine. You know, she doesn't trust it. I've taken it. You know, I haven't had any issues with it. Um, but you know, it's, it's something it's sensitive because it, there's so much information out there. There's almost too much and it's all conflicting. You know, the CDC is changing their rules now. And just speaking of the CDC and now the new rules, in response to the new rules by the CDC, Texas governor, again, Greg Abbott, he appeared twice in the show. That might be a first. Um, but Greg Abbott signed an order on Wednesday, on Thursday. This is an executive order prohibiting mask mandates or COVID-19 vaccine requirements from government agencies and, and municipalities in Texas. And so no city, uh, government agency, nobody can require um COVID-19 vaccines, you know, for, for employees or anyone. Um, and they're going to prohibit cities from enacting mask mandates. And so he issued the order two days um, after the CDC put out new rules of, you know, saying that people, regardless of vaccination status, should wear masks. And so, you know, again, Adrian, it's one of those things. They're going to keep fighting against this. It's really funny to me watching the you know, watching the Republican Party kind of switch gears on COVID. Now, all of a sudden, it's serious. We want to stop people at the border who are coming over in Texas. And we don't want, you know, we're trying to push people to get vaccinated, but we're not going to mandate it. So I, that, to me, it's a little double speak, but we'll see. Um, you know, Governor Abbott is trying to pitch this as more of a 
the path forward relies on personal responsibility rather than government mandates, which sounds great. We've been trying that method and we got half the country vaccinated, but we're trying to get the rest of them vaccinated so we don't have another outbreak. <laughs> I mean, you know, relying on uh, personal responsibility is like, you know, us relying on racism to be fixed. You know, that's, you know, that takes personal take responsibility. <laughs> but, but, but we know that that's not going to happen because, you know, 400 years later, here, here we are still dealing with racism. So, uh, another part of this, uh, Devin and, and, and listeners as a whole, uh, you know, this internal messaging from, or rather presentation from the CDC, um, this is a reason why you really should be vaccinated. Um, an internal CDC document suggests the Delta variant possesses or poses a mounting threat in the United States. People who are fully vaccinated can actually spread the Delta variant just as easily as those who are unvaccinated, according to an internal presentation from the CDC. And this was attained by the Washington Post. A chart from the presentation suggests that each person affected or infected with Delta may spread the virus five to nine point five others. And that's actually more transmissible than the Ebola virus, uh, the common cold, smallpox um, and just about as transmissible as chickenpox. The CDC estimated last week that unvaccinated people represent about 97% of hospitalization rates in the United States. The agency's leaked presentation also shows a vaccine reduced the risk of hospitalization or death about 25-fold. So, Devin, again, I mean, a reason to go get vaccinated. I mean, if this thing is that, you know, transmissible, where even you and I have been, you know, vaccinated, we can, you know, give it to nine, you know, five to 10 other people. Um, but the thing, listeners, that makes it better for those who are vaccinated, it really reduces your chances of, you know, being sick. And as the CDC says here, reduces your chances of being hospitalized. So um, if you hadn't gotten the vaccine, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know if you've been living under a rock or if you're reading conspiracy theories or whatever, but reach out to Devin and I at the Black Agenda podcast and we'll, we'll, we'll calm you. Uh, we'll talk you through, you know, your, your fears of being vaccinated, <laughs> whatever it takes at this point. I will, I'll give you my cell phone number and you can FaceTime me during your, your shot and I'll like, I'll virtually hold your hand while you do it. <laughs> virtually. I like that. Virtually holding your hand. Now, I, mean, I think it's going to be a challenge no matter what we do. Kind of like I was saying before, just like there's so much information out there. You don't know what's true. And then you're getting like conflicting reports from the CDC where just a few months ago they were saying you can go back to normal. If you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear your mask in, in public places. And then now they're pretty much reversing course and trying to tell people, oh, wait a minute now. You actually do have to wear a mask. You could spread it just as easily if you're vaccinated. You know, even if you are vaccinated, you can still spread it pretty easily. Um, and then I, I feel like we're scaring people a little bit with the Delta variant and comparing it to, you know, sp spreading as much as chicken pox. I mean, I think it's a little outlandish, <laughs> you know, that we're creeping into. But yes, I mean, there's a lot of information out there as far as this vaccine goes. The, but the overwhelming data and evidence is is obvious that if you take it, even if you get COVID, it's very unlikely you're going to end up in the hospital. Um, and so that is that is the point. 
it's likely you're not going to end up in a hospital and it's likely you're not going to pass away from it or someone you know may not pass away from it if they're vaccinated. So that is the key. And that is why they're pushing, people are pushing this so hard. Um, and so, you know, again, do your research, but we understand the hes- hesitancy, but if you can get it, definitely go ahead and do that. Um, kind of stay into our, so our next story here, staying in the, you know, kind of the medical world. Um, but this is with Johnson and Johnson. So, we got word, uh, this may have been earlier this week, that civil rights attorney uh, Ben Crump has now filed a lawsuit against Johnson & Johnson on behalf of the members of the National Council of Negro Women, or the NCNW. So the suit was filed Tuesday in New Jersey. And so essentially what he's saying is that they have internal documents from Johnson & Johnson that actually reveal the company's intent to market its talc-based products specifically to black women. And so the complaint requests corrective action to inform black women and all other consumers about the risk associated with using the products in their connection to ovarian cancer. So this was about the Johnson and Johnson uh, powder, you know, that a lot of people use. And so uh, this is kind of an extension of that. They're now suing Johnson and Johnson on behalf of essentially black women um, because they were, you know, specifically marketed these uh, products. And so, a lot of people, uh, black women, have said and spoke out that they use the Johnson and Johnson vac products as part of their daily routine. I mean, so right now, Adrian Johnson and Johnson actually is facing twenty thousand lawsuits uh, related to its talcum products. Twenty thousand lawsuits. Um, it's continued to deny these claims, saying that the powder, you know, doesn't cause cancer. Uh, it's the best-selling talcum-based baby powder in twenty twenty. Um, and so they stopped selling it actually in 2020. Sorry. So they stopped selling it in 2020. And then in June of 2020, a Missouri court upheld a $2 billion uh, reward for damages that was um, against the company. The court said it claimed that they knew there was asbestos in its baby powder, but the company did not correct it. And so the Supreme Court actually declined to hear Johnson & Johnson's appeal. So they're going to be stuck with a $2 billion um you know, judgment basically against them. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's something I know a lot of people use Johnson and Johnson's products, particularly the baby powder. So this is not going to go away. <laughs> it's going to be a lot. It should be a lot higher than $2 billion for sure. Yeah. I think everybody knows about that J and J baby powder, baby oil and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I mean, I, I feel like whenever they talk about, the, you know, there's nothing like asbestos, it doesn't cause cancer. I mean, can they not just do some medical research and they, they prove know. or disprove that? I mean, it's, <laughs> it, don't, don't just don't just tell me it doesn't have it. If you're a medical company, you can prove to you can prove it to me whether or not your products cause cancer by doing some research. So, I would be demanding of that uh, if Johnson and Johnson is going to try to defend themselves. But hey, we'll keep you updated, listeners. Um, if you are a black woman, um, maybe you ought to see if you can get on this lawsuit uh, <laughs> with, with Ben Crump if you've been using J&J's baby powder. Um, so another story here is going to take us to uh, Minneapolis here. And this is very interesting. And, and listeners, we wanted to kind of bring this in because we've got a special episode uh, this upcoming Tuesday around this subject. So they Minneapolis, can. I know we can't wait till we get there. It's going to be good. Uh, but Minneapolis voters will decide uh, this November whether to end their city's police department, replacing it with a new Department of Public Safety. 
The city council last week signed off on the language for a ballot question to change the city's charter to create a new agency. Janae Bates, the spokesperson for Yes for Minneapolis, says the proposed new department will be fully holistic and it includes police officers as well as licensed professionals and experts in order to ensure that folks stay safety, stay safe. The intention is to shift the city's response to crime away from law enforcement and towards social services and other approaches. It would expand on a push that under that already underwent that already went in the city to transform job traditionally down by the done by the police to other civilian departments. So, um, Devin, we've talked about this before. I think I don't remember what episode but we talked about. You know, I think in Denver how they have a star. Uh, program where they're already doing this. Mm -hmm. So it's good to see that one, that programs like this already are, you know, are working and it has really, really great results Two, I'm glad to see that their whole defund the police and abolish the police didn't end with police officers not being employed. They still will have police officers, but now they'll just be paired with licensed professionals and other experts. So um, I hope that Minneapolis passes this. And I hope that we can see other cities, Devin, um, across America. I think if President Biden is going to really do something about policing, uh, gun violence, uh, crime, they need to make sure that something like this is you know, done in every police department in America. Right. I mean, that's that's the goal. Um, you know, listeners, y'all, y'all will hear this uh, conversation. It'll come out on Tuesday. It's a really great it's a, it's a a nuanced conversation about defunding the police and that whole movement, because there does seem to be, when you talk about it, everybody runs to their extremes. It's either you want to get rid of the police or you just want complete, you know, lockdown. And that's not what we're pushing for. And I think Minneapolis was not going to get rid of police totally anyway. I don't think anybody's really tried it. Newark, New Jersey did get rid of their police department, but it just went to like more of a County level where they still had a department of public safety, but it was just run by the county, not so much the city. And they still have problems with crime. It's better, but they still have, you know, issues. So there is no magic. It's not an easy situation, you know, when you're talking about reforming our police department. So um, before we go into break, we did want to give you at least an Olympic update. Um, So the, the 2020 Olympics are still going on in Tokyo. The first week of it has actually I completed to yesterday, and so we're into week two now. But currently here, as we thought, we're recording this on Friday night, so this this may not be updated as you listen to this. But the United States currently has 14 gold medals, uh, 16 silver medals, and 11 bronze medals. And so off to a good start, 41 total. And so I saw we were setting records in swimming. Um, and, of course, you know, the gymnastics team didn't necessarily take gold, but in the, I think, the the team final, but um, Sinisa Lee did get gold in the women's all-around final. So big, you know, big props to her. Um, and so, yeah, so Olympics are still going on. Team USA basketball continues to be struggling, uh, but they did beat Iran, so that's good. Um, so, yeah, so we'll go ahead and we're going to take our very – our second break, and when we come back, we'll come back with some quick hits here. I'm um, talking about the baby, the rapper, has some interesting comments about the LGBTQ community. And then we'll also get some uh, funny stories in here, and then we'll get you out of here. So stick with us. We'll be right back.
Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. Hey, welcome back. So as always, we like to end the show with some quick hits here, some quicker news, uh, funnier sometimes, but the first one here is not really funny at all. Um, it's about the rapper DaBaby. You may probably have heard, but he has some not so nice comments to say about uh, the LGBTQ community and about people who have HIV uh, and AIDS. And so it's starting to cost him some money here. So fashion brand Boohoo Man has actually dropped him. I think I said that right. Boohoo Man has dropped the the rapper the baby after he made the disparaging comments during his set at the Rolling Loud Music Festival in Miami. And so this this man. So all right. So during his performance, the rapper actually asked people to shine their flashlights if they quote didn't didn't show up today with HIV and AIDS. He actually said this. <laughs> At a concert, hold up your flashlights on your phone if you didn't show up today with HIV and AIDS. That is a real quote. And he also made and other comments about members of the LGBTQ community. And so uh, this is reported from NBC. Of course, he later addressed it uh, on, I think, Instagram. He may have put up a, a live. And then he also tweeted out and said, anyone, anybody who done ever been affected by AIDS and HIV. Y'all got the right to be upset. What I said was insensitive, even though I have no intentions on on offending anybody. So my apologies. This was on Insta Live, Instagram Live, um, saying he also said that his gay and straight fans enjoyed the show. And so, of course, Adrian, when you say stuff like that, rightly so, people, celebrities in the music industry have been kind of piling on. I think I even saw Chris Brown spoke out about it. Uh, Elton John, of all people, tweeted that he was shocked to read about the HIV misinformation and homophobic comments made by the the rapper. And then it also he said it feels the stigma and discrimination and is the opposite of what our world needs to fight the AIDS epidemic. And then just to cap it off here, rapper T.I., who's got his own problems. We reported it, uh, you know, here on the podcast, but he's got his own issues with multiple sexual assault allegations against him and his wife. Uh, he said that he supported the baby. And he said that if Lil Nas X, who is a member of the LGBTQ community can live his truth, then the baby can speak his Make of that what you will. But the baby had no business saying that in the first place. Like why, what, what prompted that? I don't know. But it's just ridiculous, and rightly so. He's getting criticized and piled on for it. So <laughs> I don't feel bad for him. I, that's crazy, Devin. I mean, it's you know, I especially <laughs> what Ti said at the end about that about him being able to live his truth. I mean, that's like basically like if some white person went up to Ti and called him a monkey. He, it's okay. He's that that living white person. He's living his truth. He's he's able to do that. You can call him a cracker, and y'all live in truth, but. That's that's just bogus and uh, nonsense. So, um, you know, the baby is getting, you know, the the bash like is is, is rightfully deserved because I mean you've got to you got that you know doing stuff like that is very insensitive. It's not about being woke or you know politically correct or whatever, but it's just about you know being considerate of people, I guess. So, 
Um, take you to a, a different story here. This is out of Mississippi here. Um, little, I guess a more wholesome story, Devin. Um, three cousins, all pregnant with twins. They're going to be giving birth at the same time in October. Um, the cousins are Melody, Courtney, and Janisha. Uh, they're from Bolton, Mississippi. They were surprised whenever they got the message that they were all pregnant at the same time, all going to be having twins in the month of October. I know, just really really crazy stuff right here. Uh, The three women whose fathers are brothers (laughs) didn't, (laughs) I know, it gets sweeter, uh, didn't plan on being pregnant together. In fact, they didn't even know that the others were pregnant until they posted it on their own social media. So they definitely didn't plan it. Um, Melody is expected to give birth first on October 3rd uh, to a boy and a girl who is named Legend and Truth. So that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, on October 5th, Courtney is expected to also give birth to a boy and a girl. She's going to name him Hendrix and Houston. Houston is spelled H O U S T Y N. So she's being unique with that one. And Janisha is expecting two boys. So she's going to have a rough time um, who will be named Carson and Kaysen, and those are with uh, K's, uh, on October the 11th. More than that, the three moms to um, the three moms actually share a deeper connection as they're going to be having rainbow babies, and that's just a term used for babies born after having a miscarriage by the mom. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. That's some, that's some heavy stuff there, so hats off to them. Uh, of course, the three, along with their husbands and boyfriends, are all excited about the pregnancies, but there are times that they get scared, and they're glad that they have each other to get through the journey. So, uh, Devin, that's an interesting story. Like I said, you know, to take us out of something that's not um, great and positive and give us something to more uh, wholesome. Definitely a lot more wholesome than what the baby was doing. Um, I was wondering where is Bolton, Mississippi? Cause we need to figure out what's going on there <laughs> to see how this happened. Something's in the water, Devin, or maybe they're maybe, small towns. I think it's in the Delta, if I'm not mistaken. I think yeah, I've worked well, in there before. Um, they, they, the cousins probably talk about stuff like what they're doing with their, you know, man or whatever and swapping stories. So maybe, maybe they indirectly plan, plan this. <laughs> what was his plan? I don't know if this is planned, but it definitely is crazy. Uh, it looks like Bolton is out right outside of Clinton. Um, so I guess, you know, somewhere near Jackson area, that is where Bolton, Mississippi is. So maybe it's something in the water, but simultaneous babies, um, but people, that's just insane. It's a crazy story. Um, but our next one here uh, is going to be about Jay-Z and Will Smith. And so they're working together. Uh, they are now on, on a list of investors who have in, uh, been a part of a startup that helps renters build credit until they can buy a home. So the name of the company is called Landis Technologies. And they are raising $165 million from, from a group of investors that includes Sequoia Capital, and it also includes Jay-Z's Rock Nation and Will Smith's Dreamers VC. And this is reported by Bloomberg. Um, this It was founded by a guy named Cyril Berdugo and Tom Pettit. The startup model models its service on a rent-to-own strategy for would-be homeowners who can't afford to buy. And so... The company, Landis Technologies, currently operates in 11 states, including Alabama, Kentucky, and South Carolina. And now to continue its mission, it secured around $165 million from debt and Series A uh, equity funding. And so 
In addition to the investments from Will Jay Z and Will Smith, um, a group of founders also invested in Landis, including leaders at Cash App, Ethos, Instacart, and Tango. And so, in total, it looks like they're going to raise about 182 million. So, good to see you know Jay Z, Will Smith trying to put their money together. You know, helping people rent to own, building credit to try to become homeowners. Because at the end of the day. We know <laughs> watching the other communities build their wealth through home ownership, that is the path, you know, to get us there. So glad to see them working together. Absolutely. Hats off to them there. Interest well, not interesting. I'm i I'm surprised, Devin, a little bit that um uh that you know, as much money as Jay Z and Will Smith have that they um don't just buy more ownership of this, and you know, because I see that they're having to do debt and raise it through other, you know, equity funding. Yeah, uh, I was surprised by that because I figured that they would just, you know, just go ahead and throw. I mean, throw some of that Beyonce and Jada Pink and which I don't are they still together? Her and Will? I don't know. If like I heard, I think they like are. That. Okay, I was like, fuck, yeah. I heard something about them. Not yeah, they'll never split. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they got they got money. They can they can take care of that. Yeah. But hey, on to some other people who are who are about to come into some really good money. Rather, um, and this is out of Sri Lanka, so this is some some international news. Somebody told us told me Devin that we should start bringing in a little bit of international news. So okay. here it is for that for that <laughs> listener out there. Uh, authorities in Sri Lanka said workers in a man's backyard made a stunning discovery, which was the world's largest star sapphire cluster. Uh, local authorities and the Ratnapura area uh, area said that the stone known as the Serendipity Sapphire was found by workers digging in a well in the backyard of a man identified only by his surname, Grange, Grange, Godman, Gaj, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> Gaj, maybe. Uh, the cluster weighs about 1,100 pounds, so about 2.5 million carats. The gem trader said that some stones come loose from the cluster were tested and confirmed to be high-quality star sapphires. Uh, the town translates to the city of gems, so no, you know, no uh, wonder that they found this here. And experts said that this cluster, uh, get this, Devin, could be worth up to $100 million on the international market. So um, that, this is you know, it's kind of a cool find. It makes me want to go to Sri Lanka and start looking for sapphires or something. Um, but, um, yeah, they found $100 million, weighs about 1,100 pounds. So um, I guess it's worth, you know, worth a vacation or something. Yeah, I mean that's like a couple years worth of vacation. <laughs> you know, I hope that I hope that worker actually gets to see some of that. Hopefully, you know, the city doesn't like take it from him and, and you know, takes all the proceeds and stuff. Um, but no, that's man, a hundred million dollars. Couldn't could not imagine. <laughs> I wouldn't have told anybody. <laughs> I would have just taken that and sold it somewhere. Um but our, our our next story here, let's go. We're gonna go so big some sports news before we get out of here. Um, if you don't know, I don't know how you don't know, but uh, the SEC is getting ready to take over college football um, by adding Texas and Oklahoma. And it is pretty much a done deal. Uh, the SEC voted on Thursday to formally invite Texas and Oklahoma to the league. Um, and this was a unanimous decision. And of course, I think Texas and Oklahoma have already accepted 
their invites to join the SEC. So this is pretty much a done deal. The SEC will add Texas and Oklahoma. And right now they're planning uh, to join the conference in July uh, of 2025. But the Big 12 may not exist (laughs) by 2025, so they may not necessarily have to wait uh, that long. They also... There's there's rumors going around that they may actually join the league in 2022. Um, And, you know, that would be better rather than having to wait four years and play the Big 12 teams and have to go through all of that. So it can can be kind of nasty. But if if they do try to leave early, Texas and Oklahoma will have to pay the Big 12 about $80 million a piece, which is a lot of money. Uh, for each school, even though they already have deep pockets, even for Texas, eighty million dollars—that's that's a that's a hit. But we'll see if they actually have to pay that. The other news that came out surrounding this whole thing was the Big Twelve actually sent a letter to ESPN demanding a cease and desist letter, demanding that the network stop communicating with its current membership or with other football bowl subdivision leagues regarding its member school. What they're saying is that. They, the Big 12 is saying that the network is intentionally interfering with the business operations by encouraging other clients to poach members of the Big 12 and providing them incentives to do so. Uh, the Big 12 claims that they have proof that ESPN would like the league to take the league, some other league, to take about three to five Big 12 members and add them to their conference. So I don't know why they're shocked, but the Big 12, of course, is doing everything they can to keep this together. But it's likely, you know, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, there won't be a Big 12 uh, next year or the year after. There's just no way they're going to be able to survive. And it's not a if, it's a when these other schools in the Big 12 leave and go join another conference. So more coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Devin. And I mean, me as a person who I don't follow much college football at all, but I do know the SEC is where it's at. And outside of that, Texas and Oklahoma were really uh, the major, you know, other big states that re- where football was really a big deal. Um, I mean, I know you may have got a couple of other places like, you know, maybe in Oregon and Washington, but I mean, everyone else is, I mean, Texas, Oklahoma. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, that's definitely going to be a powerhouse when you have them joining the SEC. Uh, plenty of money. So hopefully, I guess the cool thing is that they just signed the, you know, in, in, in NCAAs, it lets uh, college athletes be paid now. So mm-hmm. um, we can expect to see a lot of millionaires out of the uh, SEC, you know, with this big deal like that. Um, one, other, one last thing I'll just point out we, yeah. since you said that. The quarterback, I don't even know if he's starting, but his name is Bryce Young. He plays for Alabama right now. He has $800,000 in sponsorships already. So you're talking about your first, you know, first six-figure athlete in college football um, nearing, you know, seven, you know, over a million dollars in sponsorships. And we haven't even, he hasn't played, I don't think he's played it down for Alabama yet. So that just lets you know. That's crazy. (laughs) It's I, I mean, it's it's one of those things to where it makes you think like like what's fair and what's not fair, and I'm just like, geez, that's that's a lot. Um, yeah, if you're if you're a smaller school that's not in the SEC or Big Ten or the ACC, boy, it's 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 going to be tough these next five ten years because you you can't compete with that. You, no, you know, there's nothing you can do. 
every college athlete that wants to make money is going to go to an SEC to the bigger school. school. I mean, it's yeah. that's just. I mean, it's just how it is. I mean, it's that's unbelievable. I mean, I you know if if I were still in college and I was a band uh, you know person and I knew the, the, the football <laughs> players I was playing for were getting all that, I'd be like, hell, can I get a little bit of that? Like, we're supporting them. We're making this ambiance <laughs> for them. You know. We are enhancing this for them, so yeah. I'm like, Whoo. but hey, let's let's go to our other quick hit here before we get too worked up. This is an interesting story uh, out of New York City. Uh, it says a bitter divorce between a top New York City spine surgeon and his beauty queen wife uh, settled quickly on Monday after the surgeon filed court papers making accusations that the wife had been moonlighting as a high price call girl. Um, doc, <laughs> uh, Dr. Kim and his spouse, Regina Turner, a former Miss Connecticut USA, put their split to bed before a public hearing scheduled for 10 a.m. Uh, took place. The spokesperson for the Office of Court Administration said the Swift, Swift settlement followed a stunning 264-page filing uh, that Kim did, uh, basically just saying that uh, the woman or the wife duped him into the union by hiding her secret life as a prostitute for wealthy men. Uh, the I guess some of the receipts behind this, Devin, says that Turner's financial record showed uh, about $675,000 in cash deposits, which, you know, if you didn't pay cash in that amount, um, something's going on for sure. Maybe drugs or sex or something. Uh, and this was between 2015 and 2011. It says many of the checks came from New Jersey real estate executive and and well-known lighting designer, UK-based company, uh, according to documents. So there was also some documents in the filing that said she lied about her education, saying that she had become a chemistry, or rather she is a chemistry major at the University of Connecticut for three years until she took a leave of absence to compete in the pageant. But according to court documents, she actually didn't even graduate high school. So uh, I, 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 I definitely feel if she lied about education, she may have been lying about being a prostitute. And if you're getting paid you know, about $700,000 in cash payments, um, like I said, something's up. Come on now. <laughs> that didn't just fall from the sky. You did something for that. <laughs> There's a reason why people pay cash. You know, it's you know they don't they don't want to they don't want to trail behind it. Hey, exactly. That ain't, yeah, buddy. She got him. She she got him. But he may be able to get out of it. You know, he it's a bitter divorce is always nasty. But when it we you know when money becomes involved, he's trying to save money, so he's gonna find every excuse not to <laughs> pay her anything. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, that, so listeners, that's going to do it for our quick kids, really for the show. So we're going to take our last break. And when we come back, we're going to wrap this up and let you know what's coming up on the show and the podcast. So uh, stick with us. We'll take our last break and we'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guess and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show.
All right, listeners, so welcome back. As always, we like to end the show with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. So uh, coming up on Tuesday, August 3rd, we'll be sitting down, not literally sitting down, I guess you could say virtually sitting down uh, with the superintendent of police for New Orleans. His name is Sean Ferguson. Uh, So his name is Superintendent Sean Ferguson from the New Orleans Police Department. We're going to have him on the show uh, to talk about policing after George Floyd. So this is a very, very good interview. We cover a lot of different topics, whether it's recruiting for police officers, hiring, um, you know, use of force laws and, and rules, and just a really, really good wide ranging interview. And importantly, there's some nuance and some context around it. Um, something that's desperately needed when we talk about things like defund the police. And so again, we'll have the superintendent of, of New Orleans police, uh, Sean Ferguson, that's essentially the chief of police for New Orleans. We'll have him on the show. So big get for us. We're excited. That's coming to you on Tuesday, August 3rd. And then uh, next, so coming up after August 3rd on August 7th, we'll be back with you, bringing you more news uh, for weekly roundup number eight. Again, it'll come out around noontime on, on Saturday. So you can listen to it as you're getting ready uh, to go out and do whatever you're doing. Uh, we'll have more news for that. And then um, again, before we go, we always like to let you know we we enjoy, we appreciate you listening and watching us. Um, but there are some other ways you can help us out, and Adrian's going to let you know how you can do that. Absolutely, Devin. You know, listeners, one of the things that I'm doing right now is interviewing for a company that does a lot of canvassing and fundraising for organizations like ACLU, uh, which is you know working on like voters' rights, humans' rights, you know, all those sorts of things. And in order for, you know, people like, you know, rather the organizations like ACLU to get things done, they need money. So I always tell you the same thing that, you know, that I say from every episode, you know, Deb and I, we have awesome ideas. We have really great interests. We have really great things we're going to do in the community, but it does require some money to do those things. Um, Great ideas have to be uh, backed by a lot of money. Um, So what we ask is that you go to our website. You click on that donate tab. You start small. We have a, a, a tab for a dollar. A dollar a month is very, very easy to give. And when you give, you're giving to something that's really going to actually educate the community and transform the community. The other thing that you're giving to is an organization that highlights a charity of the month. So we always like to make sure that um, we spread the love because it's not always about just the black agenda, but there's other organizations that are doing some great things. The organization that we've chosen for the month of July to highlight is Color of Change. Color of Change is the nation's largest online racial justice organization. They help people respond effectively to injustice in the world around us. As a national online force driven by 7 million members, they move decision makers and corporation government to create a more human and less hostile world for black people in America. So, yeah, like I say, listeners, you give to us, we can give to them, we can give to society. Um, Dev and I, we're going to make the world a better place, but we need your help. Exactly. We'll, we'll take anything you give us, uh, <laughs> before. So before we go, uh, again, thank you for listening and staying with us here. We hope you enjoy these episodes. We love bringing you the news every Saturday, but also bringing you some engaging topics on Tuesday, every single week. And so keep in mind again, such calendar, August 3rd interview with superintendent of police for new orleans uh sean ferguson and then weekly roundup number eight coming at you on august the 7th and so for me and adrian again we appreciate you staying with us and listening and we'll catch you guys next time 